Bring out Elizabeth Selwyn. The tortured souls cried out in agony as the flames mounted higher and higher. Burn, witch, burn, witch, burn, burn, burn. Those I've said of these stones today are the actual practice of witchcraft in the 17th century. Oh, tell me. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, so this is a, a little bit of a departure for Cinema Slaughter. My partner in crime, Omar, is on a hiatus right now. And he is actually um, busy with a screenplay and trying to get the screenplay out there. Uh, he entered a contest, so he's been busy on his own doing some stuff. Um, so I wanted to keep moving forward. So we're not recording video today. We're just going to do some audio. My guest here today is Mr. William Bill Prophet, sometimes uh, known as Weast Texas. All right uh, now. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you know the triple T dits. Yes, he's got, yes. He's got many nicknames. So, Bill, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, Bill's a longtime friend of mine and a uh, an, an avid movie watcher, but not necessarily horror. And so we're going to have a series of uh, video and movie reviews where um, Bill is exposed to some horror movies that he normally may not have jumped into he uh you mean definitely would not have <laughs> definitely would not have jumped into so um yeah some of these movies for want of a better uh, phrase scare the living shit out of him he um is very sensitive to uh specific genres of films and that's one of the fun things about this is i get to torture a friend and let him watch some scary movies. And then we go from there, you know, then we meet to discuss about, you know, Hey, did you find it scary? Did you find it unsettling? What did you like about this movie? What didn't you like about this? Maybe he hated the movie that we're going to talk about, um, you know, but we're going to, we're going to go through, we'll talk about, you know, first impressions uh, and we're going to dig in deep Um there's some stuff that I didn't really connect necessarily connect the dots with. Um, but this has been a, a long time uh, favorite of mine. And so I'm not necessarily a Rob Zombie fan of his movies. Like I like Rob Zombie. I think he's a, I think he's actually a cool guy. Uh, I liked his early stuff and, you know, the white zombie days uh, and some of his, you know, Rob Zombie solo stuff. And I must have seen him live, uh, you know, half a dozen times with wow. various groups. Yeah, because he does a lot of the, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, like a circuit with, um, you know, like multiple bands, like a festival. Right, circuit, right. You know? Right. So, yeah. So I've seen him live a bunch of times. And I'm definitely a fan. I saw White Zombie back in the day at Roseland in New York City. And they're, you know, they were a great band. And I liked, I definitely am into the vibe, you know, that 60s, 70s psychedelic, you know, Grungy, carnival. Dark yeah. Stuff, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, some of his movies leave a lot to be desired. I was not a fan of his remakes of the Halloween series. And I felt like my take on, on a, um, a, a character like Michael Myers is, 
you don't want to explain the boogeyman. I don't want an explanation of who he is, <laughs> what makes the boogeyman tick, why does he do the things he... I, I, the unknown I, is what makes it scary. Exactly, exactly. The unknown is what makes it scary. The less you see of the monster you know, hidden in shadows, your mind starts to play tricks on you, you know, and mm -hmm. your mind, your mind reveals the stuff of your nightmares. Yes. And that for me is what is the mark of a, of a really good um, film director because he's able to play upon the fears uh, inherent in the people watching his films. So uh, that being said, this is probably one of my favorite horror movies and definitely my favorite horror movie by Rob Zombie. And it of, is, of course, uh, as most of you have seen from the title already, The Lords of Salem. And uh, I was really looking forward to this movie when it first came out. I, I was lucky. Luckily enough, I, I was able to see it in a theater. Um, I. Um, I, I was telling Bill about this. I was like, hey, you know, this is the kind of movie that I didn't become necessarily obsessed with, but I watched multiple times. I own the soundtrack on CD. I own the soundtrack now, thanks to Waxwork Records. I own the, the soundtrack on vinyl. I own the movie on Blu-ray. And I own the novelization of the book, and I'm a huge fan of it in all formats. Uh, it's, but do you own the album by the Lords? Well, I think part of the <laughs> part part of the release is they include the music from the Lords of Salem. <laughs> so yeah, the Lords, uh, the the music in this movie is great. It's, it's atmospheric. It adds to the unsettling nature. Um, and we're going to, we'll dig in. So, um, Lords of Salem by Rob zombie bill. What were your first impressions of this movie? And did you watch it with the lights off and dig into it? Uh, no, I watched it in the middle of the day cause I was unsure what I was walking into. So, um, <laughs> But I did put everything aside and watch the movie. I didn't distract myself with anything else. No phone, no texting. It was movie only. So I got the full visual experience as well. All right. And, nice, um, nice. At, at the start, I thought it was a really cool portrayal of witches. I mean, it was a very real, it, it felt visceral. Like I could feel the energy of the witches as they were doing their ceremonies and chanting and, you know, and. You know, at first I thought the nudity and it was a little much, but then I'm like, no, that, that, that enhances, it makes it feel more, I don't know, like, like human, like animalistic. It, it was, it was really gritty. And um, I don't know. And then all of the anti-Christian sentiment and everything added a whole element of spookiness that was, I don't know, I was really digging that. And I'm like, man, this is going to be really eerie. This movie's really gonna i don't know if i'm gonna be able to finish it but i'll try kind of vibe so <laughs> all right good good so i and i agree with that like the the atmosphere in this movie is is palpable there Very. is a yeah there is a real sense of dread in this movie and in case you know we're we're talking to people who've never seen the lords of salem and i hope that there are those out there that have not um, and then they they immediately 
remedy that for, you know after listening to this but a little brief description off of uh, imdb heidi a uh, radio dj is sent a box containing a record a quote gift from the lords uh the sounds within the grooves trigger flashbacks of her town's violent past is heidi going mad or are the lords back to take revenge on salem massachusetts uh, so it's it's kind of a vague, you know, description. But um, the Lord, I didn't even read the description before I watched it. I watched it with no knowledge whatsoever that what the movie was about. Okay, cool. And I try to do that a lot, especially lately. Like I don't want to know much, and I don't really like to read descriptions. I even I love trailers, but I'm really I've got give myself- too much away. Yes, the art of a trailer is meant to entice you to watch the movie. Right, but most lately, of the new trailers, you, you don't have to watch the movie. When, when you're done with the trailer, you're like, okay, well, I've seen that movie. And that's, that's one of the things that I dislike about modern um, trailer editing, that they, don't, they give too much away. Yep. And a, a trailer, like I said, should be a tease. Mm-hmm. And, and, and a lot of times, even the teasers, 30-second trailer... Um, doesn't do the movie justice and it doesn't really turn you on to it and, like it should. And then you watch the full trailer and in a, a, a minute and 57 seconds, they give away the farm. Yep. So if I see a brief trailer and it looks creepy and atmospheric, I jump into it. Yeah, it's so, kind of like going to Burger King and ordering a Whopper and they give you a Whopper Junior to eat while you're waiting for the Whopper. It's like, <laughs> wh- why would I want the Whopper now? I'm full. I don't right. want the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it just, it, that's, <laughs> that's, <good>. that, <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. So that's good. Um, uh, yeah, and I agree with you. It is. It's like, I feel like I'm full now and I don't really... So I don't yeah, I don't need to waste my time. And that's usually a lot of these modern action movies and stuff. I don't know what it is. People's attention spans, I guess. But I I don't care to watch trailers anymore. Yeah. And like I said, back in the day, they would have entire TV shows about trailers. And, you know, like there was and talk about them and stuff. Yeah. yeah, They would talk about the movies that are coming out and their impressions of them. And so as a movie fanatic, I as even as a kid, I would watch those shows um, and and I would be totally like, can't wait to see because there was no Internet. So that was no, no. This was all you had. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only way that you could figure out, oh, shit, what's what's coming up that I really want to go see, you know? Yeah. Because they talk about the clues in it, too. Like, what did this mean? What do you think is gonna happen yeah right it was yeah so that being said um you know this movie starts off really uh in the it starts off in the past and you see the these witches of salem uh these lords of salem as they're dubbed by um heidi's ancestor and you find that out later on that she's descendant from um hawthorne yeah hawthorne (laughs) the uh the guy who wrote and kind of uh, helped destroy these witches. Um, these specific witches, too. Very specific. Right. Margaret Morgan, I think, was the, the head witch. Mm-hmm. Who, um, she is... Um, Margaret Morgan is played by Meg Foster, who uh, looks so creepy in this movie. Um, <laughs> and 
there's real scenes of malice in this by these witches. Um, anyone who's who's ever listened to bands like Merciful Fate um, and other black metal bands, um, they'll recognize some of the prayers uh, as well as, you know, things that that were heard in, you know, like I deny Jesus Christ, the deceiver, like real sick, twisted stuff that they were getting. Yeah. into. It's actually like verses from the satanic Bible. And uh, so these witches are spouting off these these beliefs and. You know, you see them dancing in their circle and they're praying to Satan at the beginning. And this is like obviously in in the 1600s in Salem. During the witch hunt. Yeah. During the winch, yeah. witch hunt period. Yeah. So then if then it flash, uh, flashes forward and you meet the protagonist who is, um, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie, who plays Heidi Hawthorne. Um, and she is with her um, other two uh, sidekicks, you know, like there's three people at the radio station and uh, Ken Foray plays Herman Jackson and anybody who uh, is anybody who's a, f- a fan of horror films. Ken Foray plays in probably one of my favorite zombie movies, Dawn of the Dead. And he uh, he's in this movie and he's a, a in in the stable of actors that um, Rob Zombie likes to use re- uh, repeatedly. And obviously Sherry Moon Zombie, I think she's basically in every single film he's ever done. Um, Patricia Quinn as Megan, she's the other witch. And for any other fans of like E.T. or even The Howling, you'll recognize D. Wallace in this film as well. Um, so uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips plays the other Herman. And so all three of them are they they run a radio program. And after a few days of getting you know used to our characters, um, a record is left in a, in a, an old wooden box and it's given, you know, for, Sh- for Sherry's character, you know, Heidi's uh, character, you know, this is for her. And so the, um, the record they take home and she listens to it. And what's really interesting that I liked about this is that, um, you know, her friend Herman, I, and you, you, they had a, a previous relationship. You could tell that they, um, you know, they had something going on together um, and he's like, oh, let's play this record. Let's put this weird record on. So they're hanging out after their show or whatever. And he goes to put the record on. He puts the needle down and the needle just skips right across the surface of the record. Like, like just, it has no grooves whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. It just like makes this like screeching sound across the record. And he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And then he tries it again and it does the same thing. It won't play for him. And and he's like, oh, my God, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to owe you a needle. And she's like, what the hell's the matter with you? So she takes the needle and just puts it down and it starts playing for her immediately. And she um, goes into a trance. Yeah, exactly. And she goes into a trance and in, instantly you could tell that this music is mesmerizing. And by the way, any fans of black metal uh, are going to recognize elements of the, you know, this creepiness as well. Um, but you're, you're going to, um, you know, see um, how this music affects her and it's over the course of time. So she plays it and she's like, you know, we should 
smash or trash this, you know, uh, on the record, uh, I mean, on our radio show or whatever. And so they decide that that's what they're going to do. But she's really put off by the music itself. There's something very mesmerizing and deeply uh, disturbing about the music. You know, so, you, when he said, let's smash or trash this tomorrow, it never dawned on me that that was going to affect anybody else. You know, it, it wasn't until they did it. And I'm like, oh, my God, because uh, I wasn't trying to read for it. I'm just watching the scene. And I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah, that'd be funny. See what people think about it. And everything never once dawned on me that it would do anything. Yeah. And that's what I've, I like about this. So they take the record to their radio show the next day and on their radio show, they happen to have a guest speaker who's, um, a, I guess, one of the curators of the Salem uh, Wax Museum. And he writes a book and he's there to kind of just pub, you know, push his book out there. And so they interview him and and they're talking about all this stuff. And, and then they're like, all right, well, you're here just in time. You know, you, you we're going to play smash your trash. The Lords of Salem, uh, which Ken Foray's character is like, this just came through as the Lords. But hell, we're going to call them the Lords of Salem. Uh, and immediately this director of this wax museum, he's like this in his mind. You could tell that this sounds familiar. Like, where did you yeah, find something. this band? So they put the record on to smash or trash it. And Heidi immediately, she goes into this, like this intense trance again, where it's off putting for her and she she's getting a headache of, from it too. Yeah. Yeah. It's given her a headache. She's like, please just mute it because I can't listen to this. I'm getting, it's giving me a headache, but as it's playing in town, they, they show you different various people throughout town, all women, listening to their radio show they're listening to this music now and it's affecting them and yeah, so that we, was really creepy yeah and so they become affected throughout the town and now you see these multiple women who you know you realize there's something else happening here like you know there's something else happening and now these women are being it's like they're reconnecting to their coven after hundreds and hundreds of years, these women are going to be part of whatever sinister plot is developing. Yeah, it was really weird. Um, what I liked about Rob Zombie's uh, direction in this movie is it wasn't quick edits. It wasn't uh, it wasn't his usual, you know, uh, saccharine you know, sickly sweet, you know, approach to his, to movie making. He was on a mission. I got a vibe of real art directing, you know, like um, Stanley Kubrick's eye for, uh, for um, direction and cinematography. And also I got a vibe of like um, Dario Argento and, you know, like um, when Dario Argento was in, uh, he directed the movie, uh, Suspiria, he used this music, the, this theme again and again and again throughout the mute, throughout the movie. And it really connected the character to the um, to the witchcraft and, and the and the witches that were in the school. And I liked the I liked the use of music and the use of color um and uh to tell a story like when you hear that those those moments of with that music you know uh that the magic spell is working on her you know that that there's something afoot here and i liked how he did the same thing he wove the music then to connect heidi the main character 
with these witches. So you know that it was seamless. Yeah. It was seamless. You, you didn't even notice. I mean, you you felt the music. You didn't. It didn't stand out separate from what was going on. That was a cool part too. Yeah, you absolutely. It, it, the, whereas the music almost becomes a character in and of itself. You know. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. So there's. You know, I don't want to give. I, I, we never really have a problem with spoilers on the show, but for this movie, there's. I, I like how you know he was slow moving with this. Like there, he was telling the story, and it developed over the course of of the film, where he wasn't rushing through. You know, and he wanted you to spend time with this main character. Now she has a history of drug abuse. She's in, um, you know, like rehabilitation. She's gone through rehab and she's actually you know she goes to her you know like um what do you call it? aa like the, meetings or whatever. yeah it's like na or something narcotics anonymous or something like that yeah right so you know that she um and i'm gonna i'll talk about some of this too because the the drug abuse kind of lowers her resistance so she she wasn't doing drugs for the longest time but the music itself was was like warping her uh sense of uh of reality see i had a different take on it i thought her going and using the drugs again showed a weakness of character i thought it would have been more powerful if she was having these effects and and people started to assume that she was back on the drugs and she wasn't like that would enhance the creepiness of it versus her having a breakdown and taking them. I thought I thought that was a, a mistake personally. Well, they at first and, the, you know, in the beginning of this movie, her friends or co-workers thought she was like using again. Yeah, but she when wasn't. She, and she but said, she wasn't. Yeah, right. she's like, no, I'm not. I'm not. And then she maintained that through two, I would say, two thirds of the of the movie. It's only the be the beginning of the third act that she actually descends into drug use again. Right. And they only show it the one time. But I think if they hadn't shown it, like maybe she got it and was like, no, I'm not doing that. But she still came to it. I think it would have amplified how deep and evil the forces were on her that she could fight off drugs, but couldn't fight off this. Well, here's the funny thing that uh, that I didn't connect the other times that I watched the movie, but really connected with now. They refer to, and when I say they, I mean the witches. These these three witches that um, one of them owns the house, uh, the apartment house that Heidi rents an apartment in, and the other two are her quote sisters. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and they're really creepy and weird and they do a good job of that odd thing. Like they she goes into the room, they're drinking wine and all hanging out and they're joking around. And, you know, and then they start um, doing like one of the witches starts to read her palm, you know, read um, Sherry Moon Zombie's palm and starts talking to her. And you made a comment about one of the things the witch says to her. And what was that? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Talking about it's almost juices exploding between her legs. And I'm like, what the oh, it just it yeah. was it was just very graphic and, and obscene. It was yeah. shockingly obscene. It was. In fact, at that point, you know, um, Heidi, Sherry Moon's character gets up and she's just like, I, I got to go. You know, like this is <laughs> it, it became too intense for her, too. 
And especially since, uh, uh, you know, her character almost seemed like she was avoiding sex and she seemed like she was bordering on asexual because when her friend, you know, the other Herman comes over to hang out with her and he's like, she's like, well, you can crash on the couch. And he's like, really? The couch? She's like, yeah, really? The yes, couch. really? The couch. Yeah. Yeah. Like she doesn't <laughs> want sex. Um, and she really, you know, she cares about him, but doesn't isn't really interested in anything right now. Like You could tell that she's really just trying to you know, work out her own issues and stay healthy mentally. But that's not the case. You know, that's not what's happening here. And so she leaves this room. But these connections with um, with, you know, alcohol and with, you know, the 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 drug use of her past, it comes back to her and they you know, her friends don't believe that she's not using. But she's like, no, I'm not. And she's like walking the dog. She's trying to stay active, trying to keep her mind from the music, which is constantly draining her. And you could see her character over the course of this movie really gets more and more tired, more and more drained of life. You could see her by the time uh, she she is walking through the dog through, uh, in a park and she sees a church and she, so she's drawn to go to the church and she's not religious, but she sits down all. because, because it's peaceful and she sits down in the church and the priest comes and, you know, he starts talking to her and then he starts mm -hmm. with the fire and brimstone speech and then puts his hand on her neck he's rough with her and pushes her head down and makes her give him a you know a blow job and the priest is really like intense and and giving her this fiery sermon about um you know about god and the devil and, Death and, then and she, damnation yeah damnation and she wakes up and realizes that it was just a dream, but then there's an actual priest that comes over. She was like, "You, you know, you had fallen asleep, and you were, you know, had a nightmare. You know, this, it's easy to fall asleep here. It's very peaceful, uh, which is what he had said in the beginning of her dream. And it was like she, it was restarting. Yeah, yeah, it was like going to restart again. And I'm like, you know, so she gets the fuck out of there. She runs out of the church and sees she grabs a dog Troy, and she's trying to like recover from this craziness that she she's like getting you know this not bipolar uh but she's trying to get this energy level up but then she crashes so easily um so she can't control these things um then she across the park walking the dog is this like this evil presence and it's its face is like covered in this like black mask or black no eyes face. and that, that's creepy. no eyes no <laughs> mouth and they then those uh faceless beings make an appearance later on as these these doctors anyway so she is really harried by these witches and there are moments where she's walking in her apartment and the the lights are off so she's kind of like you know a zombie almost and she's like shuffling through her apartment and goes to get something to drink puts the you know the light from the refrigerator illuminates her kitchen and standing off into the corner like lurking above her uh, but behind her is this witch figure it's like a spirit of these witches that are possessing her um, and they're, they're, you know, lurking in her apartment wherever she goes. Uh, sometimes she walks past the bathroom and you see uh, you see the witch in the in the background. And so I like 
I like the tension and I like these moments where uh, where it's unsettling, where you could you know, see the presence of these of these malefic spirits, you know, like they're there constantly. Like um, uh, it gives me the impression that they're wearing down her ability to resist them. Yeah, that those those images were part of the reason why I didn't think I was going to be able to finish the movie because it was getting really dark. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, it just especially the one in the kitchen, because it was almost it wasn't quite the arms weren't outstretched really or anything, but it was almost a crucifixion pose the way they were up in the corner. It yeah. just it gave me the imagery of a, of a person being crucified the way she was up there in the corner. Yeah. So uh, in the in the movie, while she, you know, she uh, goes out, she hears a noise or something and she goes into the hallway and there's oh, a person, geez. there's a figure at the end of the hallway. Um, and what Rob Zombie does really well in this uh, movie is the, the sense of isolation and claustrophobia, um, yes. especially especially on on Heidi, you know, the main the main character, because this movie is about her. This is her story. And so she turns to her right down the corridor and she she sees uh, the room is opened uh, and you know, room number five, the uh, apartment room. And uh, the room number five is open, and she's like, "Silhouette of a person." Yeah, she sees there's this figure, and she's like, "Oh, hi, I'm I'm Heidi. You know, we're neighbors. You know, welcome." And the person doesn't say anything back; just closes the door on her, slams the door. Right, exactly. So it slams it, uh, slams it on her. She's like, "Oh, what the hell is that all about?" So. You know, even later on, she talks to the landlady and she's like, oh, I see you finally rented out number five. And she's like, oh, shit, I, I wish, you know, that, you know, it's not, you know, I'm still waiting. She's like, what are you talking about? I saw someone in there. You know, she's like, they're they're there. You know, they were they just I just introduced myself and they slammed the door in my face. And they're like, well, that's weird. She's like, no, there's no one in there. She was like, I'll check if it makes you feel any better. But there's no one in that room. So. Then yep. they showed her checking it, which which can, now that I'm thinking about it, since you brought it up, makes no sense because she knows what's going on. But yet I didn't know that she knew because I was all on. Oh, it's just her nice little landlady. You know, I had no connection with anything at that point. Right. <laughs> so they kind of do that a little bit to kind of maybe allay your fears. But later on, I was thinking, well, maybe she wasn't aware that the spirits were were like really manifesting well don't you don't think she they're the ones that sent the record well i definitely do think they're the ones that sent the record but i'm just saying like i i think the witch was going up there to see if the door was open oh i like is it time to start kind of thing like has the has the beginning begun right has it right is it time to start uh, right. because they I may be you. the witches but at that point but in time the record hadn't been sent yet Right. They're waiting on Satan to initiate the process, basically. Right. So at that point, she was probably, you know, checking just to see if the door was unlocked. And then I thought maybe she would go in there. But we see more of that room later on. And that room will play a part in, you know, Heidi's downfall. Yeah. Is there so, something uh, symbolic about the number five? I don't because know. Because they focused on that number several times. They did. I know. Um and I wasn't sure about it either. I'd have to check into it. Yeah, I, but, I didn't. But I didn't look. Later on, the witches refer to Satan as the dragon. 
And Heidi, uh, some things I'm going to gloss over because I, I want people to see it. But Heidi goes back into doing drugs. And she's got this foil and she's lighting the foil and then and then smoking heroin from and heroin's that foil. called the dragon too, isn't it? Well, the phrase or of chasing the dragon. Yeah. 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 And that's what connected. So there she's chasing the dragon, you know. Oh. And, and so she's literally chasing the dragon. And so I think that was the symbolism of like where she's like ingesting these drugs, but she's also in ingesting, you know, the devil himself because he's she's the one seeking it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like she was doing her best to avoid it, but now she's not. And she she's Im imbuing, you know, her 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 body with the forces of evil itself. So she's in, in you know, like I said, she's. Uh, chasing the the dragon, and so the, the witches refer to the devil as the dragon as well. So I connected. I was like, "Oh, that I get it. I think that's. I think there was. He definitely was using that uh, the drug reference um, as a way to connect the two. Now that you point that out, that makes much more sense. And and I I re retract my uh, she should have not done it to be strong comment. All right, I like that. I like that symbolism. I I do because it's yeah. She was opening herself up to, to evil influences by chasing the dragon of, yeah, it, it makes total sense now. Right, right. And that's what I was, you know, saying. Like she was doing her best to avoid it, and but she she couldn't anymore because the after she heard there. that music, yeah. Yeah. And so the music, you know, the music brought her low. Uh she, you know, the witches uh take her after she finally succumbs to the drugs. The witches take her and they're like, we're going to take care of you. You know, we, we have you, you know, we're going to do everything we can. The, the guy who wrote the book, who uh, listened to the music, he and his, you know, his wife is, a, you know, an artist and she plays music and he was able to uncover uh, from you know, various books that he would research you know, who the Lords of Salem were. And uh, he has his wife place a, a piece of music that was written in the diary of this character of uh, uh, Hawthorne uh, from the 1600s. And he does a family tree and he realizes that Heidi Hawthorne is the descendant of this, you know, Hawthorne who helped um, burn the witches at the stake. And at the end, when the um, Margaret, uh, Morgan was being burned alive. She puts a curse on the people of Salem, on the women of Salem, as well as Hawthorne and his descendants. And part of that is, in this case, that the the seed of Satan is going to be sown through the body of Hawthorne's descendants. And you realize that Heidi Larock is, uh, you know, not this guy does name. research. Right, Heidi Larock is not her real name. Heidi Hawthorne is real name and she in fact is descended from the hawthorne from you know the witch trials um at the end of this movie the i what i love about um movies like um rosemary's baby is that the devil or seemingly his agents win I like movies that are uh, that have a grim outlook that aren't 
cookie cutter that aren't um that they have no happy ending the hero know? saves the day yeah exactly and what i like about this is that the hero does not save the day no that, now you're like oh salem screwed yeah and it's go it's <laughs> gonna go beyond salem because we know and when when the the child is born of heidi's loins it's not even a baby oh. uh, exactly it's this creature it's almost like this lovecraftian birth and it has like <laughs> yeah it's like tentacles in and it's it's just it's a it's an alien it's an abomination yes but it is there are scenes in the movie that are very much where I felt like he was channeling Stanley Kubrick. And I felt like he, this movie doesn't get uh, the recognition that he deserves. Like he, he's not, I don't think he allows himself uh, to break out of the grindhouse that, you know, the element that the grindhouse film that he had put himself into, like he, you know, like 70s grindhouse movies. And I get that. But I watching this movie, I realized that Rob Zombie has real talent and he could really he could do much more if he chose to do that. And that's why I always kind of want him to succeed with the new movies that he comes out with. But this really is my favorite film by by Rob Zombie. I think he really outdid himself in this. Is there a weird noise on this podcast right now or is it just I don't hear anything? Okay, good. So anyway, I just wanted to um, I really wanted to tell people about this movie because I enjoyed, you know, some of the elements of his uh, cinematography. I like the, the color choices. I like the art direction. Uh, if you look at the wallpaper, they, it was almost like a, a, this repeating pattern of it's very prison bar like or no, like it you, looked like chain link fence like well i got the vibe that they were like it was a woman's vulva because oh. they were it was like a wide open yeah i did have that 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 shape okay yeah i, I saw so, it more as like enclosing you but okay so i had this re this repeating pattern of of this empowerment because these witches are about the power of women in this yeah. role and it's a very, very much of a, um, a the, the the matriarchs are in charge, you know, uh, even these men who show up at the apartment house, these witches control them. Oh, come in. He's like, no, nah, I'm OK. No, I insist. Come in. I'll make you some tea. He is powerless to resist them and says yes. And then he's sitting in this room and they are interrogating him. And she even to the point where they're like, you know, are you here to fuck my Heidi's mind, you know, are you here to take, you know, to mind fuck her. And, uh, and he's like, all right, I think I need to go. Like, and she, and, and he laughs and she's like, did I say something funny? Like, I'm not laughing. Why are you laughing? And, and he's he like, knew he was in trouble. <laughs> yeah. He knew he was in trouble the whole time when he's sitting in, in, in the chair in the kitchen and, um, in the dinette area. And, um, uh, what's her name? comes from the other room and she just puts a hand gently on his shoulder and he's yeah, he jumping out of his, out of his <laughs> and I was like, oh man so he knows there's something up with them uh so there's these little subtle hints throughout the movie like these ladies are powerful and they're much more than what they what they're perceived to be um 
and they can as a guy I, I found it very unsettling uh, you know as far as because it was so female oriented it, it i'm not used to seeing movies where they portray women to be in that level of power and control and while i have no problem with it this one the way they were doing it was very unsettling as a guy yeah, because yeah because there is a maleficence to their presence they're yeah. evil and yes. I like I love that because these are not, you know, this isn't Glenda the Good Witch. You know what I mean? No. Like, you are <laughs> fucked up and you are like, you know, you, you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. And yeah, when witches, they knocked him. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you go. Oh, well, when they knocked him down on the floor, I just remember the quote. She's like, what a waste of a good man. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. It's almost like a tool that he's there mm-hmm. to be, you know, to be used. Right. And. And I and I was I mentioned I, I marked that as well. And it really is um, it's empowering, obviously, because these women are in control. And I do like that about this film that Heidi is in control, too. Like there's the three of them are in charge of this radio show. It's their show. But I you get the sense that Heidi's she's in the, the power. Yeah, she's the dynamo. And, and even in the first the first episode of this uh, of their radio show, uh, it's like, oh, it's Monday night or and Monday night is ladies choice. <laughs> and so and she's like, and that means rush, you know, and then they put rush on the on the radio, you know, but but ladies choice is that theme that re- is recurring throughout the entire movie. It's. The, the whole movie is based on ladies' choice. Even the ladies in town become a sacrifice for, you know, for Satan and his progeny to be embedded or, or impregnated into Heidi. So the women who became possessed of the sound of the music, they're the ones who show up for the concert when the lords are playing. Uh, so they play this uh, and it's basically just the music. Uh, of you know the the thing being played in the theater and there's maybe 30 women that show up from the town and all of them were we find out later that all of the women that were sacrificed uh, on the stage um, were descendants original descendants of the the first settlers of uh, Salem so they become the blood sacrifice which fuels the fire for Satan Yep. Um, it's really a very cool movie. It's very sick. It's very twisted. The witches do some really unsettling and evil shit. And I've never seen this done before in a movie, but the witches um, in a flashback scene, they have a woman in front of a pyre out in their grove and they're dancing probably Wittershins, which is an ancient word. I'm probably butchering it, but it means to dance in a circle counterclockwise. And that's the witches would do that. And they would put, you know, they, they were trying to have a baby born of Satan and this child is born. They take the, the baby from the womb of its mother and this child is malformed and was like, a, it was corrupted. And the witches, you know, Margaret Morgan takes the, the baby and she licks, licks it, you know, like the, the, uh, the blood afterbirth and stuff, and yeah. afterbirth from the child. And then she's like, almost like, 
I know she's yeah, like a taste test. Like she's trying to see is this child up to snuff, you know, or you know. So she licks the baby, and like you said, that's a good that's a good point because that's the vibe you get. Like she's tasting it to make sure it's efficacy, you know. And she realizes that it's a failed, you know, birth. That this isn't this isn't this isn't what they wanted. Yeah, no. And they and the child itself is malformed and it has, you know, these weird facial features. And um, so they, you know, they take the baby and they spit in its face and the baby's crying. And they, and then she like, is, you know, has more blood. She spits more blood in its face. And it's really just so dark Hateful. and evil. And yes, pure hate. Um, and then, you you know, it's the, the hate it's born of their disdain for men because it's a male child. And it's also born out of distaste for the human beings in general. Um, The, these hateful bodies, you know, these physical, you know, despicable human forms, you know, they even comment on that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, they, they take their clothes off and show their, their, you know, this, their hateful bodies to the you know to the lord uh you know to their dark lord um and they they begin to dance and do all these uh you know caterwauling and screaming and laughing at the same point in time it's it's a real twisted movie and it's creepy at times and uh i love i just can go on and on about it i like the rob zombie's color palette in this movie very subdued very dark and then there are scenes where this these garish or really lurid lights like almost uh these um what do you call those red glowing um, neon neon yeah like these neon lights um like in the scene where she goes into the, the and it's the cross on the wall yeah yeah this neon cross burning like you could feel it vibrating on the wall and then there's this creature that appears behind her with these long talons and just covered in hair and just it's a beast and what, uh, well, what was your take on when she went into the witch's apartment, you know, the three the three ladies apartment and they had the neon Jesus and all that? Yeah, I think it was uh, it, like it seemed like it was so kitschy that it seemed like, yeah, it was a, like it was a mockery. Exactly. And, but because you know, some people, they, they decorate their homes with so much religious paraphernalia that it becomes like a collection, not really a religious symbol. And that's what it felt like, like it was just for show, not for any kind of belief. Yeah. And, and I, I, it just but again, it was brightly lit, very neon, very, very in your face. Yep. Yeah. So and I I like that, too, because it just seemed like it was. Like I said, like it was more kitsch than actual belief. And obviously they, they had that there as a as a means of, I think, um, mocking Jesus mm-hmm. himself because of just how it was presented. Yeah, it looked like a roadside attraction versus a religious figure. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, there was a, you know, I think Rob Zombie, you know, he grew up in uh, carnivals, you know, his parents. Oh, and that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, it had that carnival feel to it. Yeah, it it did. So I think there was definitely the, the play on that where it does. He does a good job of incorporating a sense of, um, you know, that carnival, uh, you know, about certain things pop culture feel versus yeah. versus any truth to it feel 
So at the end of this film, the devil wins. And I love movies like that. Some of my favorite films are where evil triumphs because good can't win all the time. No. (laughs) And, you know, so uh, that's one of the things that I love about this movie that, you know, Heidi you want her to make it out and she doesn't. And I, and you feel badly for her because, and I feel badly for, you know, uh, Herman, you know, he loves her and he does his best to try and save her, but she's beyond saving. She is, she is the victim of, of the witch's curse and becomes a vessel for uh, the antichrist and the baby. Yeah, I really, I really felt Herman's character too. Like how much she really cared about her. I mean, and, and without judging, he never seemed judgmental or, you know, it, it gave a real human side to the story, you know, where it felt like there was someone who who retained their humanity in the movie, even though they were powerless to use it for any effect. Yeah, I agree. And there were certain scenes like with the characters, their friends uh, and Ken Foray's character is an older guy and he's got a hairpiece. Right. So he's wearing a wig. And then later on, they're sitting down just um, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie and and the other actor. Um, God, I just drew a blank on his name. The um, he played uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips. I'm sorry. Uh, he, he, you know, the other Herman, uh, or his nickname is Whitey. Um, yeah. You know, he, they're sitting. <laughs> it's just the two of them in her apartment, and they're listening to music, and they're you know getting high and drinking or whatever, and hanging out together. And they're like, you know, I wish Herman would just you know, get rid of that hairpiece, man. And you're like, yeah, he's like, you should talk to him because he'll listen to you, Heidi. You know, he doesn't, he's not going to listen to me, but, but he'll, you know, he'll listen to you. You should, she's like, oh, I've already told him he looks so much better without it. And, and he doesn't need that, this and that, because they're trying to get him to, you know, and it's funny because that friends in a circle of friends, they, when the other people are not present, talk uh, sometimes about, about one of their friends and, yeah. and certain things are like, Hey, you know, like, in the you know in the past i had a a very close friend of the family we called him an uncle uh so he was my uncle paul and he was more of an uncle to me than my actual uncle whom uh you know my family is estranged uh from uh, from him and so we don't speak to him any longer but my uncle paul was a was a great guy and there was nothing he wouldn't do for my family and there was nothing that he didn't do for us but he had a bad wig and he wore a hairpiece for years and we would tell him, you know, my, my mom would be like, you know, try, trying to tell him. And You're not fooling like, anybody. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why are you wearing that? You don't need to wear that. And uh, so it just reminded me like, you know, like it was real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there were moments where the dialogue felt real, where these characters felt that they were genuine. And they weren't was, written that these were real people. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the acting in this movie was really solid. And obviously, uh, I'm a huge Ken Foray fan. No matter what he's done, uh, I just love the guy. I was lucky enough to meet him in, in person. Uh, Anita and I went to a, a Saturday Nightmares and we met Ken Foray and he talked to just a bunch of people in the theater just about his life and, and really was connecting with me. He's like, look, you know, I could sit here and talk to you about, you know, George Romero and what was, what it was like to work with George. And this is shit you've, you already know about. And he's like, but you don't know about, you don't know about me. You don't know about my family or where we came from and how I had some, he talked about like, you know, racism 
especially him growing up and then you know dealing with stuff trying to become an actor in the 70s and dealing with this type of stuff and how great it was to play the part of a hero at a time when there weren't very many you know roles for black actors to be the hero right and, and so that's you know one of the things that I always appreciated about George Romero. Anyway, Ken Foray is is that that kind of guy that he's just engaging, and he was a lot of fun to to listen to and spend time with. And so I'm lucky I I was able to meet him, but um, he's really a, a cool guy. But I like his character, and I want my one re, you know gripe about this. I wish he his character had more face time in the movie. I wish he was around more, and I that's you know. I, I, but he's always fun to watch, but I, I, he didn't get enough of a juicy role in this film. He was almost comedy relief in a little bit. Uh, yeah, in a way. Yeah, in a way he was. And his character didn't have, a, like I said, didn't have enough of a of a juicy role. And, you know, but he was left to, you know, like being the third wheel in this group. And, and also the guy who's who has a hairpiece, you know, who, who needs to stop wearing the hairpiece. But he came uh, across as the coolest of the three, too. Like, I'm the most adult out of the three of us. You know, y'all need to get y'all's lives together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. So go see this movie. Go watch, you know, watch it any way you get the chance to. I left a lot of stuff out. Um, I, you know, obviously we always, you know, set set the expectation early that you should probably um you know, stop the podcast and then go watch the movie and then come back to what we have to say. But I think you're going to really like this movie. If you're if you're a fan of Rob Zombies, you probably have seen this film already. And if not, you owe it to yourself to watch this movie. Uh, if you are a horror movie fan and have not seen this, and if you're you know kind of like me, not really a fan of Rob Zombies movies per se, uh, you should definitely watch this because I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. And again, I think he was doing his best way to channel many of uh many great directors and i think he did a good job of you know they're using the color palette of i think mario bava and and maybe a little bit of dario argento in there um and then also uh he did a hell of a job with um you know there are scenes where it feels like i'm watching a stanley kubrick movie um you know but uh you know, zombie wears his influences on his sleeve regardless. He's a he's a horror movie fan. And I like that about him. It's one of the things that in, that I find endearing about him is that he is a passionate fan of horror movies. And he's a big fan of 70s horror movies, um, and which I am. So that's one of the reasons why I really say, you know, go check this out and go uh, go give it some love. You won't be disappointed. So, yeah. Bill. And well, I was going to say, if you aren't into high tension, jump scare, paranormal stuff, that's okay. Because this movie isn't like that. It's much deeper, more artistic, and definitely creepy, but it has substance. It has a story. It has a, a, a realness to it that, while it creeped me out, it didn't make me feel like I couldn't watch it. There was moments in which I was like, oh, I don't know where this is going. I might not be able to. And then it was like, okay, no, I understand why that occurred. And it's not so creepy. I mean, yeah, it's creepy. I mean, we're talking about Satan coming back into the world and all, but, but it's not, you know, tension and music building up and then something jumps out of the closet and slashes someone to death. It's not that kind of scary movie. So it's right. a little more, you know, if you, if you've got a heart condition, you can watch this kind of thing. <laughs> 
<laughs> right. This is not a movie filled with jump scares and hack and slash. This is right. a psychological terror that builds yeah. over time. You know, this is right. about the, the decline of a, of a person. Um, and then finally, you know, evil winning. So yeah, you can even feel bad at the end, possibly, depending on how you take the end of the movie. It can make you feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. This you know, is like, not a wow. <laughs> this is this is not a feel good film, you know, no, <laughs> this is. Yeah, this is this is a very disturbing movie. And I love the imagery in this film. It's very there's scenes where there's like a glowing. Uh, this bed is illuminated from from within and the sheets are like these thin gossamer red uh, and they're like, you know, placed in such a way. It's almost like rivers of blood. I was going to say, yep. Yeah, it's yeah, very visceral. It, it, it really is. It's a, it's a great movie. So if you had to rate this movie on a scale of one to five, how many goat heads would you give this movie? I would say a good four and an eyeball and an antler off the fifth one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a that we're going to say a four and a half. Yeah, yeah. You All gotta right, have awesome. one cut in half so you can see the nastiness inside. <laughs> right. So we have we have to have the gore oozing out of a severed skull. Right. That's where I'm at. I'm at a four and a half on this one. It's not a perfect movie, but it's damn great. I mean, I I have watched this movie about six or seven times. Uh, it's one that I own. Like I said, I, I preface this, you know, as uh, this is definitely a favorite of mine. And I think, you know, I like the movie Devil's uh, Devil's Rejects, I think it's called. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's the zombie movie. Uh, he did a movie called Devil's Rejects. This is not the Devil's Rejects, but it, you know, as much as I enjoyed an, another movie with Ken Foray in it, by the way, but as much as I enjoy the Devil's Rejects, this is a very different kind of movie, and I just uh, I find it really engaging. And I wish there was like a director's cut that was over two hours long that they added all this additional footage because I would like better, like a little bit more development. I would like to see what they cut out. Yeah. 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 And so but anyway, you know, that's just me. But, uh, you know, I'm glad you guys uh, are joining us. If you I'm going to post some stuff on Instagram and you know kind of get some dialogue going online but uh bill i want to thank you for joining me and talking movies with me and uh, we're going to try and keep the momentum going uh, i'm going to try and get something that's really scary for you to watch uh i really i'm trying to have you crap your pants and then yeah i only did it. five hail marys after that movie you got to ramp it up <laughs> All right. So we will definitely we will definitely be back. Uh, <laughs> five Hail Marys. What I love the fact is that you that you had to watch it with the lights on. You, you know, it's broad daylight. You're not going to you're not going to ex expose yourself to any type of creepiness. Bill lives by himself, by the way. So there is an element to, you know, not having anyone in the house with you. You know, his daughter's up in college. So uh, it's you know, the hermit life. I can scream like a girl and nobody knows. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the women out there, but <laughs> yep. So uh, yeah, check out this movie. It's uh, it's definitely it's definitely a favorite. So I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Cinema Slaughter, and we will catch you soon.